Chapter 12 Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Last time I spoke from Hebrews, we finished up chapter 11 and dove into chapter 12. Chapter 11 lists these amazing heroes of faith, imperfect people, but men and women of faith who accomplished great feats for God, some of whom died in honor, not recanting their faith, some of whom were tortured, not being delivered from their pain, and did not recant their faith. Mighty men and women of faith. The last two verses of chapter 11 says, And all these, referring to the people listed above, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. The word there for testimony relates to the word martyr. It relates to the word witness. To be a witness is to be a martyr. And uh, those who have died for their faith we call martyrs, but reality, we're all martyrs if we're willing to die to our pride, to our fear, to our selfishness, and to our agendas for the sake of the kingdom. Can I get an amen? amen. So these people all obtained a good testimony through faith, and yet they didn't receive the promise. What were they promised? Well, they were promised the Messiah, they were promised a homeland. They were promised uh, victory. They were promised heaven. And they died short of receiving their promises. How is that faith? Faith doesn't depend upon the longevity of your life. 
It depends upon the promise of God. So your faith keeps on living even though you die. And one day your faith will be fulfilled in the great resurrection. Who believes they're going to be resurrected one day should the Lord tarry his return before your physical demise? God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The word better is one of the key words in this amazing book. It talked all about Jesus being better. He's better than the angels. He's better than the, the Torah. He's better than the law. He's better than the temple. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than anyone. And yet God has created something better for us. Can we say something better? Something better. Uh, there used to be a song, I think, um, the Gaither sang Something beautiful, something good. All of my confusion he understood. Sorry, these songs just come through my brain in the airwaves. God having provided something better for us. So we are more blessed than the Old Testament heroes of faith. Tell someone you are blessed. God having provided something better that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So you are a hero of faith. So when we get into the message, I want to talk to you about receiving something better. God has provided something better, and we want to receive it, don't we? So it involves contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. But let's look at our text. Verse 1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Now, that's not your Uncle Bob. That's the people we just talked about, those heroes of faith. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. I really think the text, because it's dealing with faith, is talking about unbelief. Unbelief sneaks up on us. In fact, unbelief is, is what makes all temptations tempting. We don't believe that God's word is true, or we don't believe that God disciplines his children, or we don't believe that it's anybody's business. And yet God asked Cain, the first murderer, where is your brother? And his response was, am I my brother's keeper? So God holds us accountable for our treatment of one another. And let us run with endurance. That's the whole point of this verse. The race that is set before us. Who knows it's a long race. Run with endurance. This is not a sprint. This is a race. And he uses the metaphor of the track world to get his point across. When you run a long race, you don't run carrying your backpack. I mean, in the army they make you do this to build endurance. But if you're running to win a competition, you let things go that would hold you down, right? You make sure those shoes are tied good and tight. Uh, in the ancient days, they ran naked. In fact, the word gymnasium relates to that. Looking unto Jesus, he's our inspiration, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a story of a mighty witness named Stephen in the book of Acts. He's being martyred, being stoned to death. 
And he has a vision of Jesus standing up. So biblically, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but when we're going through hard times, he's rooting for us. He's interceding for us. It's all Jesus standing. So we run this race for us, and there's rewards for us. Listen to this parallel that the Lord promised the church in Smyrna in the book of Revelation that parallels with Jesus. So he ran the race that was before him for the joy that was before him. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen to this reward. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Reckon that's something better? Yes, amen. So here's our points. Receiving something better involves laying aside every weight. Last week, we talked about Cliff Young. I couldn't remember his name. He ran over 544 miles in a foot race from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne, Australia. And his legend has grown. People say he ran with gumboots on in the race and all that stuff. No, he, he wore track stuff when he ran. And because he ran all night long, sometimes he'd wear a track suit and still run. But he took his false teeth out. He was 61 years old. He lived to be 81. He was a vegetarian. All the vegans in the house go, oh, yay. He said his teeth rattled when he ran, so he took them out, laying aside every, well, <laughs> laying aside every weight. Now, when I say elite sportsman, you automatically think of a 61-year-old potato farmer wearing gumboots, don't you? Sometimes you have events that sort of uh, tickle a nation's funny bone or something grabs their attention. And with Cliff Young, it sort of, it appealed to us on so many different levels. And he used to run in gumboots. He was the worst dressed sports person we've ever had. These days, of course, you know, Nike would have been there getting very special slick gumboots. Cliff Young was, as his name suggested, young at heart. He embodied the never-say-die attitude many aspire to, but few achieve. What the interesting thing about Cliff Young is, is that he wanted to do it. And it was remarkable what he did. I mean, he didn't cheat, he actually did it. Oh, it's been a really tough run. The hills all the way, to here anyway. And day after day, Cliffy Young, the Cliff Young shuffle, and the whole nation fell in love with him. Incredibly, at age 61, Cliff became the oldest marathon winner, and he took two days off the previous Sydney to Melbourne race record. Do you think that you're going to make it all the way? Oh, yeah. For sure. I'm going to run all night tonight, and I hope to finish tomorrow. Tomorrow night, sometime. And he streeted the field. He just ripped them wide open. Kept going to Melbourne. If they hadn't stopped him, he would have finished in Perth. Cliff was awarded the first prize of $10,000. He promptly gave two grand to each of the five other runners and kept nothing for himself. An impressive and generous man, that Cliff. Cliff, would you do it again? Would you do it again? Oh, no, I don't He shaved two days off the previous record and came in nine hours ahead of second place. He didn't know to run for 18 hours and rest for six. He just ran till he got done. And he didn't run with gumboots on. He did it when he farmed, but in a race, he laid aside everything that could slow him down, including his false teeth. 
Receiving something better involves putting away easily ensnaring sin. What is that? It is unbelief. You've got to deal with your unbelief. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So the Word of God is the key to overcoming unbelief. Grow in your faith. If you're not reading your Bible, read it. i tell you how to do it. Read it till something speaks to you, and then write that down and think about that all day. It's a library, but it's not as big as you think. But it's too much to take in in a short period, so don't overdose on it. Enjoy the journey, and your faith will grow, and God will prove himself to be true to you. Receiving something better involves running our long race with endurance. We're called to finish the race, right? This is John Aquari in Mexico City, 1968 Olympics. He uh, wasn't accustomed to the elevation, and his muscles cramped up, and he fell down and uh, did a number on his shoulder and one of his knees. And he was running a marathon, not an ultra marathon, uh, 26.2 miles, I think that is. And he still finished. And when asked, why didn't you just quit? I mean, lights were being turned off on the homeward stretch and all that stuff. People were starting to go home, and here he comes along hobbling. He said this when asked, why didn't you finish? He said, my country, which was Tanzania, didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He who began a good work in you will complete it. He's not done. Well, I've fallen down too many times. Get back up. Get back up. <laughs> Receiving something better involves our looking to Jesus, our, your, my exemplary leader. He's not just the leader that commands his troops. He's been there. He's been one of us. One of the problems in our military right now is we have officers in leadership in America that never served in Iraq or Afghanistan. And they have those men under their authority, and there is a gap of understanding between the two. Not so with Jesus. We can run boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. We saw that earlier in this book. We can run boldly because he has sympathy for us. But more than sympathy, he has compassion. Sympathy is sorrow for the misfortune of another, but compassion goes beyond sorrow to doing something about it. He's able to help us and give grace to help in time of need. Receiving something better involves responding to God's correction submissively. You're going to be corrected, submit to it. I hate to use the metaphor of spanking because to some people it's, it's contradictory to the nature of God, but in reality you need discipline. Some kids need more than others. And so if you were getting, if you were in a, raised in a spanking home, you don't want your parent to have a, a lot of room to swing. You want to get as close to them as you can. <laughs> so if you're going through something and the Lord's disciplined you, how does he discipline us? He lets us reap what we sow. He does, does. 
This promise we read in Hebrews 12 comes from Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's chastening or the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. And so why is this such a big deal? It's, it's because God has an agenda. It's to make us like Jesus. Well, I think I'd like to read this in another translation. Okay. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So there it is in another translation. What does this have to do with running a race? It's like in sports, you have a coach to whip you into shape, right? Tell you, one more lap. I need a coach right now. It's all part of this race we're running. We're not just running to win a prize, but we're running to become like Jesus, to fulfill his will, to not be a kingdom of whiners, but to be mighty men and women of God, to not be consumers, but contributors to God's purposes being furthered in the earth, to lay down our lives for the homeless, for the babies, to lay down our lives for our neighbor, for our enemies, for our families, for our annoying relatives, to lay down our lives because we are representatives of Jesus. Amen? To live lives of holiness. So it involves responding to God's correction submissively. Boy, I have to move on, but I could stay there with some personal stuff. The Lord will allow you to reap what you sow because he loves you. So when you sin and pray for a crop failure, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. That is a discipline of the Lord. Well, then my whole life is ruined. No, it's not. Just your plans are all messed up. But his plan is going to come into play now. I'm going to make you like me. I had a job I hated for eight years, and the Lord did not hear my prayers to deliver me from it. For eight years. What was he doing? He was developing tenacity and endurance in me so that when I would become a pastor, no one could run me off. <laughs> that if my, if my ego takes a beating, it's fine. I'm not going back to parking cars. I'm sorry. <laughs> he makes us stronger. Receiving something better involves remembering his training makes us fruitful. There's a purpose in all this. No discipline seems present at the time, verse 11 said, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It just does. Ben Franklin said, spare the rod, spoil the child. The Bible says, spare the rod, that's a symbol of authority and an instrument of correction, spare the rod, hate the child. Well, I'm not going to discipline my child because I love my child. Well, if you raise a child that's undisciplined, eventually you will hate that child. That child will ruin your life. 
There's a verse in Proverbs we taught our children. It says, uh, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And we had a little heart-shaped candy dish, like you get for, for uh, is a candy box, heart-shaped candy box that you get for like Valentine's. And we took the word foolishness on a big piece of paper, read the verse to our kids, wadded it up, crammed it in that box so it stayed. You couldn't shake it out. Took a rod, read that verse. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. They could see, yep. But the rod of correction will drive it far from them. Smack! And that paper flew out of that heart across the room. And our children's eyes got big. And it wasn't to scare them, but it was to see, show them the point of discipline. Some people hold to, the, hold to the belief that people are born perfect. They're not. We are born narcissists, natural born narcissists. And the job of our parents is to help deal with that. So we're not self-centered. That sweet baby in the nursery is awesome. But with no discipline, now some babies need less discipline than others. Maybe your babies were perfect. I remember visiting one of our kids. At the time, they had one child. And we were gone with our child somewhere, and the other parent was home with, with their child, our grandchild. And when we got home, we came home to the news that time out isn't working. So you have other means. May you pray and the Lord lead you in disciplining your kids. I'm not up here spanking anybody. I, it is what it is, the Word of God. So remember, His training makes us fruitful. Receiving something better involves encouraging those who are discouraged. When things aren't working out the way you plan, because God is saying no to your prayers... It's easy to get discouraged. This verse is in our text today. Verse 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So we're to encourage one another, and sometimes we have to encourage ourselves. Why? We're all in this race, and we want to finish it. We want to finish it. This is Derek Redman from the UK in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Running the 400 meter, an injury in his Achilles tendon that he'd had surgery on happened again. And in agony, he had to stop running. His daddy came down out of the stands and helped him finish the race. He didn't come in first, but he finished the race. Now, the Olympics committee, technicality, he didn't finish. Somebody helped him. Well, in the kingdom of God, it doesn't work that way. Who knows? We need some help. If you finish the race, you finish the race. It may take an army of us to help you, but you're finishing. Amen? Receiving something better involves encouraging those who are discouraged and spending time listening for Jesus' voice. What is he doing when he's disciplining us? What is he doing when he's, when he's saying, talk to the hand? 
He's getting our attention to listen to him. Peter wrote in his first letter, Husbands, dwell with your wives in an understanding manner so that your prayers may not be hindered. Why does God allow something like that to hinder our prayers, me not understanding my wife? Because he's making us a husband like he would be. And so he's not going to bless our prayers by answering them till we get things worked out in our relationship. And ladies, I think the, the same thing reciprocates, but as leaders, men, we got to get it first. You want unhindered prayers? Dwell with your wife in an understanding manner. Find it. Dig it out. First Peter, read the letter. It's only five chapters long. It's there. Listen to Jesus' voice. What is going on? Listen to the Lord. Don't go to a hypnotist or a fortune teller. That's part of the problem. Listen to the Lord. The Lord has a word for you. Who knows who Robert Morris is? He's rather prophetic, and someone came up to him and said, do you have a word for me? said, no. And in prayer, he asked the Lord, do you really have a word for that person? And the Lord said, tell the person I want to meet with them first thing every morning. <laughs> so the next time he crossed paths with him, he says, yes, I have a word for you. The Lord wants to meet with you every morning. Did they take it hard? I don't know. Some people keep searching for words till they hear one they want to hear. A word from the Lord may not be what you want to hear, but it's, if it's the truth, take it to heart. Not contrary to Scripture. Meet with the Lord. There used to be a poem that said, I met God in the morning when the day was at its best, and His presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long His presence lingered. All day long He stayed with me. Then I thought of other mornings when my ships had left the morning and his presence left behind. Lord, help us to be people that listen to you. This famous passage in the letter of Jesus to the church in Laodicea, he said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So what's the discipline for? To lead us to repentance. What is repentance? It's turning away from that which is not God's will and going the opposite direction. It's stopping. What is rebuking if the Lord's rebuking? The word rebuke means to say stop. So the Lord tells us to stop. We need to respond. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Verse 20. Well, I like verse 20. Well, it's part of the same passage, the same letter to the same people by the same Jesus. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Isn't that awesome? It's great, but he doesn't stop there. He continues with the words we heard earlier. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So, what is the purpose of the Lord's rebuke? What is the purpose of the chastening of the Lord? 
It's so you can receive something better. The discipline of the Lord is not an end of itself. It's a means to an end. Conforming us to the image of Jesus. Amen? Satan will tempt us to do that which is contrary to God's will, and if we yield to it, we'll reap consequences. He tempted Jesus to jump off a high place because there's a verse. He pulled the verse out of context. You know, God will put his angels charge over you so you won't fall and hurt yourself. So jump off this temple. That would not be God's will, and that is not a promise to turn us into flying people. Think of the chaos it would be if God was obligated to keep us from hurting ourselves when we jump off stuff. Oh, it's those Christians. Oh, you must not be a Christian. Look, splat. <laughs> the Lord's chastening makes us Christians, Christ-like. Final point, receiving something better involves anticipating our eternal rewards. That guy from Tanzania, Robert Kokwari, anticipated the reward of at least saying, I finished. The dad coming out of the stands in the 92 Olympics ran for the reward of saying, my son finished. So when we finish, is that all there is to it? No, there's rewards. Do not fear, the Lord told the church in Smyrna, when you are about to suffer, what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested and you'll have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. What was this 10 days? I don't know what happened. But 10 is a number of testing. It just is. There were 10 virgins who were tested, right? Uh, Joseph had 10 brothers who tried to ruin his life. The church, after seeing proof of Christ's resurrection for 40 days, waited on the Holy Spirit for 10 days. Have you ever prayed for anything for 10 days? Fasted for 10 days? Sought the Lord for... Give the Lord some time. If your faith is being tested, don't give up. And you'll receive a crown of life. We read this earlier. Read it again. To him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in his throne. It's our reward we're anticipating. We're talking about receiving something better. Prior to his death, Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So we've read a promise of a crown of life. Here's a promise of a crown of righteousness. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, James 1.12. For when he has been approved or tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Peter in his first letter said, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive an unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the calling to be in your race. Thank you, Lord, that you're rooting us on, but you're also whipping us into shape by 
change in our hearts. Sometimes, Lord, you break our hearts to reveal to us our hearts. You offend our minds to reveal to us the condition of our hearts. I pray, Lord, we would embrace you and embrace your will. And Lord, I pray if anyone here is living a life of rebellion and they know they are, I pray, Lord, that they stop making excuses, but they come to you for help, that they reach out to someone for help in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave Oh, I'm not here for blessings Jesus, you don't owe me
step up and conclude the message uh, prior to ministry. If you want to receive ministry, we want to pray for you. Uh, conclude the message with a concluding word that maybe balances what you heard. I'm not saying that if your prayers aren't answered, it's because God's disciplining you. Who knows, life doesn't always go our way. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So if you are going through some sort of tribulation, you pray and ask the Lord. Uh, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We argue about it for centuries. What was it? Point was, it was a prayer that wasn't answered the way he wanted. And the Lord did answer and said, my grace is sufficient for you. So the Lord's grace is able to empower us to go through anything, go through amazing things. Maybe you're pursuing healing and it's not happening. You need to know the Lord is all about healing the whole person, not just the ailment you want to get rid of. He's making you and I like him. So ask him. He's knocking on the door of your heart. This kind of dovetails into Joseph's conclusion last week. He's knocking on the door of our hearts. He's asking, seeking, and knocking. Let me deal with this issue. And it, it could be other things. Uh, there's nine, three kinds of gifts of the Spirit, nine of them listed in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. One is called the discerning of spirits. People by mistake call it the gift of discernment. There is no such thing as the gift of discernment. That, when people say they have that, that's actually the gift of suspicion. It's the discerning of spirits. So it, when that gift is in operation, you're discerning, is this a demon? We see examples of that in Acts. They discern someone's spirit wasn't right. Is it a human spirit thing or is it God's spirit? Or is it something else? Give an example of the function of the discerning of spirits. A man called to meet with the elders of his church, said, I'm having suicidal thoughts. I want to kill myself. I think I have a demon. So they prayed for him. The discerning of spirits went into operation through one of the elders of the church. It was a Calvary Chapel in California. And he said, I don't discern a demon. What kind of medication are you on? Let's look at the side effects. So he went and got his blood pressure medicine. And sure enough, possible side effect was thoughts of suicide. So the word of the elders to the man after praying for him was go to your doctor and get a different prescription. He did and it cleared up. That's a discerning of spirits. So if you're facing troubles that's too hard for you, the Bible tells us to lift up the hands that hang down, strengthen the feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet. So we not only do that with our own walk with the Lord, but we help one another do that. And so if you're here today and you'd like to be prayed for, for anything you're facing in life, it can relate to the message, doesn't have to. But if you'd like to receive prayer, could you just raise your hand? I'd like to commission some saints to come pray for you. Anyone over here that would like to receive prayer about anything? Hallelujah. Okay, I see a hand over here. So some saints, can we go pray for Stephanie? There's a hand here. Two hands, all right. Keep your hand raised till someone comes to pray with you. Anyone over here? I see a hand here. All right. People come and pray for Gary. Keep your hand raised, Gary, till some people come to you and pray with you. You don't have to tell us everything. Just say, I need some prayer. Any, anybody here needing prayer? Hallelujah. Anyone? All right. 
Maybe, they, maybe you felt too exposed by that. So turn to someone and say, could you pray for me? Or turn to someone and say, can I pray for you? Can we do that? Let's do that. All right, Lord, we just pray for each person in this room that needs a ministry, those that raised their hands and those that didn't. I pray, Lord, that you, through your gifted body, would minister life and encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen.